the vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. Uh, it's so great to have you joining us here. You might be listening live on Facebook Live on Transformation Talk Radio's page or on Christine Upchurch professional page. Uh, you might be listening live on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area or on TransformationTalkRadio.com um, over the internet or after the fact in one of the dozens of podcasts it sets up in. But, you know, whenever you're joining us and wherever you're joining us from, we're grateful to have you here. And I'm grateful for the people behind the scenes, Mr. Benny Mathers. Good morning, Benny. Happy New Year. Hi there, Christine. happy birthday. Oh, and happy thank you birthday. very much. Yeah, it's usually a busy uh, top of the year for me. And then after... Nothing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, then there's Valentine's Day. And, oh, yeah. You know. Well, uh, with the Valentine's Day, there's 365 days a year to show your true love. So it doesn't need to be one particular day. And I say that. That's true. Lovingly, of course. That's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Olivia, uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year to you, too. And I want to also give a shout out to Kyle, who's behind the scenes, who gets all this stuff going to make sure that um, our, we've got great guests and our you know, guests show up and all those details. Anyway, I'm very grateful to have you here today. And we're going to be talking about something that I think everybody longs for. And that is finding your purpose. Not just like how you show up in your career, um, but rather how you align your life with your soul. And our guest today has lots of tips about how to do that. And she's, she's uh, Sahara Rose. She's a best-selling author, a, a speaker, and a host of a wildly popular, popular um, podcast called Highest Self. She's leading the conversation around Ayurveda and spirituality and has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation. I love that because we need leaders in that generation. Uh, a leading voice in the millennial generation into a new paradigm shift. We also need that paradigm shift too. Um, and that, that quote is from Deepak Chopra. Sahara is on a mission to remind people of their highest selves so they can share their gifts with the world and raise the vibration of the planet, which we so need right now. Um, in her new book, Discover Your Dharma, a Vedic guide to finding your purpose, finding your soul's purpose, uh, which just launched, She's helping us discover the truth of who we are and what your fears are that are getting in the way of blocking you um, stepping into your dharma. Uh, she takes esoteric spirituality and brings it down to tangible life, uh, leaving readers feeling both inspired and fulfilled. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Sahara Rose. Mm -hmm. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. It's an honor to be here today. You know, I, I do love the fact that you are of a younger generation 
and you you had to step through a whole lot of fear and a whole lot of what I call conditioning in order to be where you're at right now, you know, with with your book and and with what you offer the world. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to break through that conditioning to step into your soul's purpose? Yeah, so I wrote this book, Discover Your Dharma, because I wasn't sure if I even had one. My mom was a refugee and my dad was an immigrant. So growing up, it was about survival. We're here, we're in the US, so, you know, survive. And right. I knew, you know, what a privilege it was to be in the United States and to not, you know, have to deal with war or child marriage or many of the things that have been part of my lineage. So I thought that I, you know, need to sacrifice this lifetime to be of service. I looked at the people who are helping others and I would see Mother Teresa or Gandhi or all these people who did this like enormous self-sacrificing thing. And I thought that must be how you help people. So uh -huh. I looked at, you know, some of the gravest issues in humanity from um, child sex trafficking to child soldiers, child labor, et cetera, and said, okay, mm -hmm. I'll fix those things. So I actually went to school studying to become an international human rights lawyer and was working with nonprofit organizations and found myself in DC in college, realizing that I was so unhappy with my life. I felt like I wasn't really helping people. I felt like my time was spent raising money for a fundraiser that then gave all their money to the next fundraiser. And it wasn't even really going to the people. Mm -hmm. I felt like I wasn't using my gifts. I wasn't using my creativity or desire to write. And it was a really tough time in my life because I had spent my whole life thinking I was going to be an international human rights lawyer. And here I am not, not having a life that I would even want for anyone else. So right. it was a tough time for me and my body, physical body began shutting down as we know, the mind and the body are connected. So Absolutely. it began with me with digestive issues, which led into hormonal imbalances, which led with being diagnosed with perimenopause when I was 21. So doctors told me that I would never be able to have children. I would probably become handicapped earlier in life because of the osteoporosis-like symptoms. And I would just have to take, you know, a whole fleet of medications to try to live a semi-normal life from hormone replacement therapy to antidepressants and so many others. So mm -hmm. I knew intuitively there had to be a reason behind this. There had to be something I could do to bring my body back into balance, but I wasn't sure what it is. So it brought me on this journey of self-healing, which I think so many listeners have been on or, or in right now. And absolutely. Yes. And I, I, I studied many different health systems and it finally brought me to Ayurveda, the world's oldest health system and the sister science of yoga based on the mind-body connection. And mm -hmm. when I started to look at these Ayurvedic archetypes and I read about this specific one, the air energy, it's called Vata Dosha. And it was like I was reading my autobiography. Not only did it have all of my health issues, but it also described my personality, my desires. You know, you're creative. You're someone that loves to travel, think outside the box, and also all of the, you know, health issues as well. And I just felt so understood. So I became obsessed with wanting to learn everything I could about Ayurveda moving to India, studying Ayurveda for two years, becoming an Ayurvedic practitioner, healing my body, and then wanting to share it with other people. So I figured I'll just write a book. And I thought, you know, you just write a book and it ends up at Barnes and Noble. It's like, I don't know, it just happens. <laughs> and that was really the journey of, of beginning to really unravel the conditioning and the limiting beliefs that had been instilled inside of me. So when I, you know, told my parents, I'm going to write this book on Ayurveda, they're like, 
are you crazy? Like, who do you think you are? You're never going to make it. You're going to become a starving artist. You're going to end up homeless. You're delusional. You're taking advice from these hippies. You know, that's not a real career path. And it was a really tough time because, and it wasn't just a period of time. It was, it was years of sometimes having the certainty of knowing that I went through these experiences to share them with others. And then other times looking at the world around me and seeing, you know, life's tough, get a helmet. Everyone must, you know, be doing something that they don't love to do. So I should probably stop believing in this fairy tale of following your dreams. And maybe it's like a Santa Claus story they tell you as a kid and you get older and no, you weren't actually supposed to do that. So it was, it was tough and it was a battle. And, you know, eventually with my family, it got so bad that they threatened to disown me and I didn't have a relationship with them for two years because they were so angered and mostly scared. Mm-hmm. They were scared. They didn't know where this path was taking me. They weren't sure if I would end up, you know, in a place that they didn't sacrifice all of this to go. And I think a lot of people can relate to, well, my family did this for me, or this is expected of me. And now I'm, you know, sure. going another path and I'm not going to have their love anymore. So right. it brought me to this point of realizing that I'm going to either have to make myself happier them, but it's not going to be both. And I knew right. that I don't want to live with that regret of wondering what if. So eventually I, and I I know that we want to please our parents, not just because, um, you know, it's sort of expected of us, but because we also love them and we don't want to disappoint them and we feel responsible. And yet part of the individuation process is letting go of that sense of responsibility towards your parents and, and, and transforming that responsibility to yourself. Absolutely. And now I can see it as part of my soul's unique curriculum to help me embody my dharma. You know, how much I had subconsciously been living for their approval, for their validation, for them giving me the gold star. And then here I didn't have it, but having to give that to myself, having to trust myself enough and have that belief, even when the people around me did not. And now I look at it as we are born with a Dharma. We're born with this divine soul's purpose, but our journey of our obstacles help us now embody that purpose. So I eventually wrote the book and got rejected by 30 different publishers who echoed back those exact same fears and doubts and concerns. And I kept moving through and kept moving through that. Eventually I, you know, wrote this book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which was published by Penguin. Mm-hmm. met Deepak Chopra. He wrote the forward of the book and have continued to now write four books and have, you know, now 10 years later have shared this wisdom with so many people. But the question I kept getting was, how are you able to overcome those blocks? How are you able to get through it and really create this, this life where you're in full alignment with your soul's purpose? And that's what led me to write Discover Your Dharma. Yeah. And, and that's so important. I mean, if you know anything about my history, I'm a former research statistician. And I worked in various fields from um, applying statistics, from engineering to medicine. And um, I experienced the early stages of lymphoma and doctors had nothing to offer me except what would ultimately be the beginnings of chemotherapy that I do the rest of my life. And so that, that made me search and, and um, you know, I ended up healing myself, which put me on the path I was meant to be on, even though I was making a difference as a statistician it wasn't connected to my soul. And so I think sometimes the universe gives us a wake up call uh, as it did for you and as it did for me in terms of health. But I know of other people who've been like, 
they've gone through divorce and it's been their wake up call or they've, they've gotten fired and it's been their wake up call. Uh, do you have to wait until it's a big calamity to, to discover what your soul's purpose is? Mm, yeah. What a beautiful question. So I like to think of your Dharma as the end of a highway and you were born on this highway and you're on cruise control. You know, you're in the flow, you are having the right experiences. Maybe you listen to a podcast, you hear exactly what you need to hear, or you're meeting the right people at the right time. The ideas are channeling through you from this place of pure ease. And you're realizing that you're a conduit of what is coming through you. It's not coming from you, but rather through you, through something yes. so much greater than all of us. So this is how life is really meant to be lived. We were meant to live in, in flow. It's not supposed to be so tough all the time. Right. However, we have gotten off these different exits off this highway. So these exits are, hey, you'll make more money doing this, or your family will only accept you if you do that, or you're too old to do this, or everyone's going over there, or you know whatever those exits say. And sure. everyone we know is getting off on these exits. So we think, oh, well, I'm the only one on this highway anymore. Should I have gotten off too? Is it, is it too late? So we get off this exit and the universe, which wants us to be living our dharma, it's the only way the world can come into balance, responds, tap, 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 tap. Uh -huh. You're feeling anxious. Something's feeling off. You don't feel the same energy you used to feel, but most of us think, okay, I guess I have to, you know, drink more wine or, you know, you know, do whatever I can to numb myself and plow through this. And then the universe is like, okay, she's not responding knock, 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 <laughs> panic attacks, you know, maybe bouts of depression. And then we think, oh, wow, life is just, you know, series of unfortunate events and you just got to get through it. Yeah. So we keep going off that exit and then it could respond like a collision, something mm -hmm. so colossal, like for you with the, with the lymphoma or for someone like with the divorce or whatever else it is that you have no choice, but to look at your life and make a shift to make that U-turn towards your Dharma. So, you know, for people like Eckhart Tolle, he reached suicidal ideation to make that turn. So it's not to say that you're any inferior. If you had to reach a certain level of breakdown for each person, it's going to be individual and some people perpetually live in that state of collision after collision after collision. I think we all know those people that every day something horrible happened in another. And when you're in that experience, you think that's normal because we've only existed in our own minds in this lifetime, at least. So right. it's hard for us to trust that we can live in this path of least resistance and we can live in this flow when all we've experienced are these obstacles. So the universe replying, the, the word for this in Sanskrit is karma. We often think of karma as what goes around comes around, but it actually has many different definitions, but really it's bounded action by the universe. So the universe is going to respond in whatever way. And the way that we tend to respond as humans is through pain to bring us back into alignment with our Dharma. So when yeah. you are living in karma, it's that drudge after drudge, after drudge, after drudge. But when you make that U-turn, you start to experience the synchronicity and the flow. And yeah. it's almost like the universe is propelling you in the direction of your Dharma that you almost are taking a backseat of your own life and it's almost happening for you. You're still taking sacred action, but it's, it's happening in ways that you could have never done yourself. And this is called Kriya boundless action by the universe. Yeah. So, and, and I love your, your definition of karma. Um, reading it here in your book was the first time I'd heard that particular definition. It makes so much more sense than just, you know, what we brought on for pre from previous lifetimes. Uh, I want to unpack something that 
you said, you know, a few minutes ago, and that is, if we're going to get our world back into balance, that we have to align with our soul's purpose. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, why that's important for the collective? Mm. So I like to think back in the times that we lived in villages. In the village, there were the medicine woman and the silversmith and the warriors and the basket weavers, and everyone really had a role, a role that they, you know, ideally had chosen for themselves, something that their energy, their passion, their curiosity is driving them for this. And the village respected all members of it because it knew for the village to come into balance, we needed all of these different roles. Today, we live in these very nuclear families, individualistic mindsets. So we have this idea that one person needs to do all of the roles and we put the expectations on others to show up in the way that we may feel called to. So for example, let's say there's another catastrophe happening in the news, which by the way, is probably going to continue for some time. We take all of our energy and think if I have enough information of what's happening in the news, then I'll be safe. It's this disillusion of if I know enough, then I'll be safe. Has has reading the most amount of articles ever led to someone's safety? I'm not saying totally drop the news, but has it is is there a statistical, you know, as a statistician, is it the more media you consume, the safer you become? No. No, I mean, it's really, from my perspective, the information that provides you with ease and direction and setting appropriate boundaries is very helpful. Mm-hmm. But it's the information that gives you the sense of overload, that, that puts you into fear, that is causing such imbalance. Yeah. And, and a sense of we're out of control over our lives, which is yeah. a, a huge myth. So when we can each step into our dharmas, we realize that this world has so much to be fixed and healed. And the way that we can sustainably do it is for each of us to step into something that we are being fueled by a sense of joy, service through joy, because you can try to do something that you really hate to do, and you're probably not going to follow up with it. So if someone is being called to serve through new types of preschools and someone else through homes and someone else through conversations and someone else through this, the world can come into balance because all of the voids needed are naturally being met. There is no force or no trying to fit into this thing over there. The universe actually designed us to have this array of different interests, talents, gifts, and archetypes. So the world can become whole. So I think it's really tough, especially when the media and the news, and there's so many things and it's very overwhelming and you want to be of service, you want to help, and you don't know how to look at it from that bird's eye perspective and realize that if you can truly devote yourself to something, that is how you can make a sustainable difference. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting for me as um, a healer or somebody who's work, been working in the consciousness realm for a long time, but who's also um, a former research statistician. I mean, I've co-authored articles in medical journals, peer-reviewed medical journals, you know, had input on literally hundreds of, of research studies that have been done across the United States. And I find myself getting censored because there's like this, this whole narrative of, oh, well, you can't talk about vitamin D here on Facebook, even if it's randomized controlled trials, whatever. So for me, it's been sort of frustrating, but I also have been understanding that the universe is also setting those bounds, right? 
because I know that I'm supposed to be supporting people through our, our chaos in a different way. But it can be really confusing sometimes when you, you show up in a particular way, you think this is what I'm meant to do. Oh, I'm putting these pieces together. And the universe is saying, yeah, not now or not ever maybe. Um, how do we sort of take the information from the, the boundedness that we experience, the, the, the karma, if you will, from the mild karma in particular, and find our, our, our navigation to our highest level of service? Mm. So the question to ask yourself is, is, is moving through this going to make me feel more expansive or contractive? So a lot of times we think, well, you know, life is supposed to be super easy. So I'm just going to sit back and like, let my Dharma happen for me should just happen. Right. And we have free will, you know, not everyone's going to live their Dharma because most people are either not aware of it or aren't going to consciously continue to work for it. So I remember reading these books many spiritual texts, I would say, follow the path of least resistance. And I was so confused because I was like, my mom wouldn't have left her country on foot in a war if she followed the path of least resistance or a homeless person wouldn't have gone out of poverty if they followed the path of least resistance. So, you know, how does this make sense? Don't we sometimes need to do the things that challenge us and are difficult for us? But also life is meant to be lived in flow. And I really had a hard time understanding that. And an analogy that really came to me was, we're on this beach, right? So we're on the sand and our dharma is out in open waters. And this is our fulfillment, the path of least resistance, the flow, all of the things that we we know intuitively we can experience in this lifetime. But to get to those open waters, you got to go through the waves. Yeah. And those waves represent the limiting beliefs and the societal conditioning and the obstacles and the many times you haven't listened to yourself. And, you know, the further off track you are, the, the bigger and more daunting the waves. So mm-hmm. most of us, we try to get into that wave once and we're knocked back to shore. We try a second time, we're knocked back to shore. So we think, oh, well, these open waters must not exist because I tried two times and it wasn't, it wasn't there. And everyone we know is on the sand. Everyone says, you're right. Yeah. There's, there's no open waters out there. All we've known is the sand. And you see your uncle who's like, you know, I tried to make an an abandoned college and we failed. So following your dream is not real. And Mm -hmm. you have all this evidence for it now, but something deeper within you knows that people wouldn't keep talking about this thing for so many centuries if, if it didn't exist. So what we get to do is we get to become a stronger swimmer. We get to learn how to navigate and dodge those waves. And maybe you go back and you get tools, you get your surfboard that could represent your breathwork practice or different spiritual tools that you've gotten. You learn how to navigate, dodge them, move through them until you find yourself in these open waters. And you're like, oh, This is the path of least resistance people were talking about. This is the Dharma. This is the flow. But sometimes to get to the path of least resistance, you first have to follow the path that you are personally the most resistant to. Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. I love that analogy. And um, I think about our conditioning as children and, and with this analogy being on the beach, it's like, well, you know, it's, it's dangerous. There are, there are riptides out there and there are big waves that can knock you over and knock you under. And uh, it's safer to just stay in the shallow end. Mm-hmm. What, what are some of the signs that somebody truly yearns to get beyond those waves to find that, that place of ease? So let's say you have this desire to write a book. 
you know that you want to share your story. You can see it on paper and the people reading it, but every single time you get to sit down on your laptop, there is this huge writer's block and all of these stories that say, you're not special, you're not important, you're not a good writer, you don't have time for this. So even though you wanna write this book, you're just experiencing block after block after block, but you know writing this book is going to give you the ultimate expansiveness. So this is an example of one of those waves or a couple of waves that may be layers under each other that you get to overcome to move you towards your dharma because you feel expansive. Now, let's say the waves are you're at this job that doesn't utilize your gifts. You're not even aligned with the company's mission. Uh Even when you think about where you're going to be a year from now or five years from now, you're not even excited about that. And it gets tougher by the day, by the day at conflict after conflict, you're just putting out fires all the time. You're low in energy. But you think, okay, if I just can get through another couple years of this, then I'll figure out what I what it is I want to do. Mm-hmm. That's an example of you're just moving towards continual contraction. You don't even like where that direction is going. So ask yourself, is moving through this going to give me more expansiveness or contraction? And mm-hmm. I like to also tune into the body like energy of what do these qualities feel like for me? So for me, when I tune into expansiveness, I think of my arms stretching out, my chest is open, I'm taking up space, I'm growing. And mm-hmm. when I think of contraction, I... I cover my chest. I cover my heart. I am making myself small. I feel like I've been, you know, on an airplane for too long. So Uh tuning into those body senses of, okay, what are the things I'm doing in my life that are bringing me more expansiveness? And what are the things I'm doing in my life that are bringing me more contractiveness? Now, does this mean we don't do anything? We don't file our taxes or anything? No, (laughs) we still got, but I know me paying my taxes is going to lead to the expansiveness of me having a business. So it is right. worth it for me. So and if we don't pay our taxes, it's going to feel overwhelming. Jail is going to feel pretty contractive. Yeah. 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 And for me, when, when I feel like I'm on the right path, I feel this sense of ease in my, my body. It's almost like there's, there's almost a sense of effervescence. Um, and when something feels off, it's like, I feel something tight in my solar plexus or in my throat chakra. Um, so I definitely agree with you about the physical sensations. And I think sometimes it's, it's a little challenging to know, are we, just, are we just taking a step along a stepping stone and it, it's not the right place to end up, but it's the right step. Like, let's say you're in a career and, and you know it's not where you wanna end up, but you think it's gonna serve some purpose. How do you tell the difference between where you're going to, you want to end up and, 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 um, it, the step is serving you versus it's just going to lead you to that dead end or that karma. Mm -hmm. So I think of, you know, different experiences in our lives, having soul contracts, soul contracts being like time periods in which that thing may be in alignment for you. So, you know, even, even projects, careers, jobs, relationships, they all have different kind of soul contracts. You could call it whatever it is that you want time periods that you're feeling in alignment with it. So let's say you are, you know, maybe you're interested in I don't know, launching your own business, but you're not sure if right now is the time. You've never really had any experience doing it. You're not even sure if you want to make that risk quite yet. So a good first step for you could be to work for someone that has their own business, learn more about the behind the scenes to, Uh you know, start to get the ball moving in that direction. See if it's a fit for you before you like, you know, quit your job and just try to make it. So this is an experience that maybe your long-term vision is not to work at this place, but you like the experience it's giving you. It's actually fueling your dharma. It's in alignment with your gifts or it's taking you somewhere that you couldn't have gone without it. 
Now, let's say you remain at that job for the next 10 years and you went into it thinking it's going to be a temporary thing and you still don't like it, but you're afraid of leaving it. You don't know what else is out there. So now it's starting to feel heavy. You're starting to resent your job. You're starting to not look forward to every single day. And then you get on that karma cycle of it feels heavier, denser, denser, denser. So to have, that's why the body awareness is really helpful of when is this starting to feel contractive for me? Uh Is this something that maybe I need to switch up my self-care routine? It's something interpersonal, or is this no longer a fit? And there's no perfect answer for that. It's very individual according to what's happening, but I do think it's important. You know, I talk about these three ways to get to your Dharma and they're the leap the leap is to make that big transition, which is helpful for some people. Some people need that element of risk. Some people are at a job that is so heavy for them that they don't have energy to, you know, focus on what it is that they may be passionate about. So the leap may be a good option for them, but for others, it's the transition. And the Mm -hmm. transition is maybe you launch your podcast and you start to build your audience and you build your voice and you, maybe you get sponsors and you build it to a point that there's still going to be a leap, but it may be a three feet leap instead of a 30 feet leap. And then the third is the accidental Dharma. And (laughs) these are the the things that kind of knock on your door without you expecting it. So a story I share in the book was uh, my friend's uncle was an engineer his whole life and he Mm -hmm. was in his mid fifties and um, HR where he worked said everyone needed to sign up for an extracurricular activity. So he just skimmed through it and he randomly chooses pottery, had never done it in his life. He just kind of wanted to get it over with. So he gets on that pottery wheel and he feels his hand on that mud and it moving through his fingers and he's creating things and he feels so grounded. And he's like, I love doing this. I need to do this every day. Uh So he starts showing up on his lunch break every day on that pottery wheel, making plates and bowls and gifting it to the people at the office. And soon they start buying it from him. And now he's a full-time potter. You know, the first half of his life was an engineer and now he's a potter. So that's an example of an accidental dharma, but he could have just as easily has said, oh, I love pottery, but too bad I don't have time for it. I'm an engineer. I'm so busy. So yeah. we all have those things that are, you know, knocking on our doors, things that we could step into, but are we allowing ourselves to say yes to it? Mm, love this. We have to go to a quick break, but when we return, let's talk about Ayurvedic doshas as well as the various archetypes and, and how that can help people find their dharma. Stay tuned for more with Sahara Rose here on the Christine Upchurch Show. I'm Christine Upchurch, and this is a Stellar Reflections Minute. What does the word healing mean? Many think that healing merely means eliminating symptoms. However, based on my many years as a healer, I have a much broader perspective on the word. Healing can manifest in a variety of ways, including having physical problems resolved, becoming more emotionally centered, experiencing better relationships, gaining greater clarity, and feeling more spiritually connected. True healing always includes some level of transformation. Whatever form healing takes, there is one commonality, an improvement in quality of life. To me, the highest form of healing goes beyond aligning with wellness. It comes from recognizing our soul's voice and allowing it to speak through us. And in that sense, don't we all yearn to heal into our wholeness? Please visit StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. Are you ready to branch out? Take a leap of faith. Tune in to Get Rooted Radio with Erica Gifford-Mills on TransformationTalkRadio.com to equip, 
empower, and enlighten yourself. Erica will energize and excite you to power up your passionate dream that sets your soul on fire. So get fearlessly ready and get powerfully rooted in your yes to live it up, love it up, and let it go. Visit GetRootedRadio.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to TransformationRadio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christian Upchurch Show here on KKNW and Transformation Talk Radio. Not to mention Facebook Live if you're if you're watching live. And by the way, I can't see your comments if you are watching live. Um, there's probably another way of, of getting a third device in front of me, but you know I haven't figured that out yet. So sorry, folks, if you're leaving comments. We are talking to the author of Discover Your Dharma, uh, a Vedic guide to finding your purpose, Sahara Rose. And she's got a new book that just came out this month, or is coming out this month. Sahara, um, has it actually officially launched? It is out, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was close, you know, in terms of the timing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so, first of all, I want to ask you, does Dharma always relate to purpose as it, as it um, within the context of a career? Or can it mean something different? Your Dharma is more like your mission statement it's your big why it is the umbrella that combines everything it is which you are it's not what you do but it's how you do it it's your soul's frequency it's your energy so it may you know under that mission statement there are services that can be different careers roles jobs projects yeah. etc but it's much greater than that so for example let's say someone's dharma is to bring beauty to the world they may be an interior designer for some years and then a graphic designer and then a florist and then a wedding planner and then have an Etsy shop. And they may be kicking themselves saying, oh, I must not have a purpose. I keep changing my mind. But actually, they were always bringing beauty to this world. Right, right. So what's your dharma? So my dharma, you know, all of our dharmas 
at the highest level is the same. It's to raise consciousness, right? We're all here to make the world a yes. better place. For me, it's merging ancient spirituality with, you know, the modern vocabulary that really resonates with, especially my generation and to show people the uh -huh. spiritual journey can be fun. I think sometimes we get so serious about things and try to, you know, figure it all out. And I've learned in my journey, I love to dance. I love to DJ. I love to express myself in creative uh -huh. ways. And the more that I show myself, show, myself that I'm showing up in these ways, it gives people permission to maybe bring the parts of themselves they're ashamed about or feel like they don't fit into the picture, into the puzzle and realize it's all spiritual. It is. And there is something about laughter when it's not at the expense of somebody, but really it's like looking at incongruencies or perhaps just something that's totally random and totally, totally, you know, off the wall that raises our frequency. Mm -hmm. And laughter, I mean, it's obviously good for our bodies as well, but it's, it, it does increase our frequency as an, as an energy healer, I'm very aware of frequency and it can raise things. And, it, and when I teach in front of people, when I end up, you know, saying something amusing, you can feel how the energy of the room shifts dramatically when people are laughing. It's like, there's this ease that's brought forth that you know, I, I, I interpret it to be sort of people getting more into that flow state through laughter. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's one of the most expansive states that we can be in. It's our true nature of innocence, of play. I think so yeah. many of us have separated ourselves from that part of ourselves. But as children, we were always laughing. We were always finding things that were hysterical to us and letting ourselves be silly. And then we get so self-conscious later on in life. So as we, you know, discover our dharma, it's more of a remembrance. It's more of an unraveling and letting go of all of the conditioning and layers that you have held onto that you think are you to remember the truth of who it is you've already been all along. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so um, can you tell us a little bit about Ayurvedic doshas and how they relate to dharma? Yeah, so... In my study of Ayurveda, I realized that these doshas, these, these archetypes were so much more than just health. They're very helpful with health, nutrition, et cetera. But I was seeing that within them was a lens to look at your purpose. So these three doshas or these archetypes are vata, which is essentially air energy, pitta, which is fire, and kapha, which is earth. So we're all a combination of all three, but in varying amounts. So this vata, this air energy is the energy of creation, ideas ideation, channeling ideas. It's very connected to the upper chakras, receiving mm -hmm. the idea through the crown, intuiting it through the third eye, giving it voice through the throat chakra. So right. people who have a lot of this dosha are idea people. They're always coming up with, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. They love to think of branding and visuals and, you know, mm -hmm. expression. They're very energy sensitive. It's like very open to receiving. Yes. So that's actually part of their dharma. They are here to speak about the unseeable. They are here to be a bridge, to have a futuristic sense of the world because they're really tuned into that subtle energy. Uh -huh. However, their, their obstacle may be having so many different ideas that they don't know where to start or right. starting a lot of different projects and not finishing it or getting so overwhelmed by all of the steps that they end up stagnant. So uh -huh. when you are someone who has a lot of this Vata air energy, it's, you know, taking this idea that you've channeled through your crown, you've intuited through your third eye, you vocalize it through your throat mm -hmm. and now moving it into the fire, which is the next dosha, the Pitta. 
Uh-huh. So that pitta is the fire, the energy of transformation, of taking an idea and bringing it into form. So this is the energy of, of doing, you know, like actually getting that thing done, which sometimes, especially spiritual people are like, no, I don't want to do the doing part. I just want to come up with the ideas and, you know, right. let it be done. So that energy of fire is that energy that makes you show up day after day, even when you might not feel super motivated, the energy sure. to actually like, you know, finish that book or bring that project off the ground. You know, it's the energy, which we bring it into the heart to find the passion, which is the ignition underneath the fire. And then it enters the solar plexus, which is the, you know, digestion, transformation, assimilation. So people who have naturally a lot of pitta, they tend to really focus on one task in their lives and like give themselves to it. So for example, um, Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, she had this idea of, of Spanx and has committed her life to it. And this is just what she's doing and, and is continuing right. to add fire and add fire. And she's obviously has different, you know, versions of what she's doing within that, but that's really her one main purpose where someone who has more Vata may express themselves in a lot of different ways. So sure. we see a lot of um, entrepreneurs, athletes, CEOs, lawyers, etc., have a lot of that Pitta energy because it's the okay. energy of, of, you know, taking something and having leadership managerial skills to getting it done. Sure. However, if, and we all have this aspect to ourselves and when we get stuck there for too long, the doing, 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 or people are expecting this from me. So I can't stop now, even if it's no longer serving you. It's no longer in alignment with your gifts. It may feel like you're holding on to this smoldering hot plate that's like burning you, but you're like, but I worked so hard for it. I can't drop it. And it's burning your hand. We got to move into the kapha and that is the earth energy. So the sacral chakra is finding joy, finding pleasure, taking that sacred pause, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes stepping away from that thing that you've just ushered into reality and asking yourself, is this now in alignment with my gifts of who I am now? Because you fundamentally shift as a person taking an idea into action, right? So as we step into that sacred pause, we give space for whatever is next to come through. Maybe it is Mm -hmm. to continue on that exact same project and cycle through it again and again and again. Or sometimes you're meant to bring something to life and it grows its own legs and it has its own existence. So we can't know that if we don't get off the hamster wheel into the sacred pause. And from the sacral chakra, we emerge into the root and that's the birthing that is letting it become its own movement and having other people's dharmas get involved with it as well. One of the things I find so interesting about the order that you put those in and how you've connected them is I, I think in terms of energy and I think about how our purpose right now on the planet is to bring through some of that higher frequency vibration, that light, sort of the air energy, and then bring it into our bodies and ground it onto the earth. So it, it's, it's a, and then of course, you know, as we do that bringing into our bodies, we have to take action in order to shift the world, but it's really about grounding the light all the way through our bodies onto the earth. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because all of these universal truths are always pointing to the same thing, that we are here to bring heaven to earth. We are here to be conduits of that thing. And whether it's Vedic teaching or shamanic teaching or light language or whatever it is that is your vocabulary, according to your past lives and resonance and all of that is going to make, you know, maybe different things relate to us more. It's really all the same fundamental truth. And 
what I love about the dosha specifically is it helps us see ourselves in these archetypes and see, okay, well, maybe here's a blind spot that I have been overlooking. So if you're that pizza person, do you maybe become such a workaholic that you drop all things in your life? If you're Vata, are you, you know, chasing a million things and not really seeing anything to completion? And the Kapha, the person who's very in the Kapha dosha tends to be a nurturer, tends to really, you know, connect with people, care, Mm -hmm. hold space, that mama or papa bear energy, go one-on-one. So Oprah is a really strong example of this, that, you know, even when Oprah is at the Staples Center with tens of thousands of people around her, she sits on a chair next to a person and has a really deep conversation to draw the wisdom out of them. So Mm -hmm. it gives us permission to really radiate as ourselves. And the the shadow aspect or the obstacle for the Kapha Dosha is sometimes feeling so stuck where you are that you don't know how to change. So for example, um, like a mother who raised kids her whole life and now the kids have gone off and she's like, I've just been a nurturer. I don't know. I don't know what I want for myself right. as well as setting boundaries. It can be really hard because Kafas know how much their love and their care and support, you know, impacts other people that they feel bad with holding any of it, but then it can lead to them, you know, not taking care of themselves as well. Mm-hmm. You also talked about archetypes. Mm-hmm. How are they different from doshas? Yeah. So these three doshas, I love so much. And I wanted to further break them down into actual roles we play in society because, you know, taking into a more tangible, tangible vocabulary. So I came up with these nine Dharma archetypes, which can be broken down further as the doshas. So they are, well, we we could start with yours because I know you took the quiz on my website on dharmaarchetypequiz.com. So the teacher, the teacher is here to impart knowledge. They are here to learn obstacles and transmute it by sharing them with others. That is how they're going to go through life. I learned this thing. Let me share it with you. Okay. Like mission accomplished, moving on to the next thing. And that's how they're going to go through life. So the teacher has a really strong ability to take things that are confusing or intangible or dense and make it understandable. That is what their channel can do. So teachers can have so many different roles. I mean, you could be from a spiritual teacher to an algebra teacher or history teacher, but really it's taking something that may be hard for others to understand it and assimilating it into understandable language. So maybe as a kid, when you were studying for exams, you were teaching other people that subject and that helped you learn about it more. Uh That's something a teacher would do. So the next one, which you definitely also have is the visionary. The visionary is here to be a bridge for the new paradigm. They are here to inspire, use their gift of their communication, help people see a higher idea, a higher way that we can be. So their gift is their communication, their charisma, their words, their ability to bring people to this elevated state. So we can be both. I have both archetypes as well, but the difference really is a teacher may, you know, I'm going to teach you about gardening. Like I'm teaching you about this thing. Whereas the visionary it's really here to inspire towards this new paradigm. So that's why often, you know, spiritual teachers can, can have both qualities. So Barack Obama is a strong example of a visionary, you know, whether you agree with him politically or not, he had this ability to bring people around this cause, use his voice, use his charisma that he, you know, was someone who really stood for change for a a new way of being. And we can Uh see this as his visionary archetype. 
And each of these have their own obstacles as well. Um, so the, for the visionary, it's sometimes you can see things in people or have advice for them that they may not be ready for quite yet. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Never happened, no. <laughs> um, and for the teacher, it's sometimes not connecting with your students. So, you know, like that history teacher who's like, I'm going to teach you about the Prussian War and everyone's falling asleep, but they're like, well, this is important. So it's important for the teachers first and foremost, to be connecting to the students rather than this is important and I'm going to teach it. Sure. Absolutely. So what, what are your archetypes? My first are visionary and teacher. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have you know, podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my third one is the artist. So the artist is here to bring beauty and everything that they do is going to have an element of beauty to it, whether it is their homes, their social media feeds, the way that they dress themselves. They really care about the colors, the textures, the experience. So they look at life like all of these mediums in which they can create art from. They are actually receiving energy from a lot of different places, which is why they can make poetry out of a breakup or you know take things that people may not have notice and create like an epic statue with them. So this is their artistry and, and we need that. We've always had art in all civilizations and it's still needed today. The obstacle for the artist is sometimes they can get very overwhelmed by all of the energies around them. They might need to shift themselves off from the world. They can also be quite disconnected from their bodies if they're just in their heads and even struggle with manic depressive disorders, which, you know, when we think of Frida Kahlo or Picasso or many of these great artists, we can see that this was a reoccurring issue. So it's important for artists to ground down to the physical too. And sometimes the artists can get quite addicted to the drama of life because they might create their best art from there. So it's also, you know, dropping yourself from my life needs to be in distress for me to create art, but I could also create art from a place of ease and joy. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I'm quite sure that's my third as well. So. Amazing. Just the same person. <laughs> Love that. Okay, so, um, and, and again, I really want people to know how to get onto your website so they can take the quiz because it's fascinating. Uh, what's your website again? Yeah. So this quiz is available for you at dharmaarchetypequiz.com. And so D-H-A-R-M-A and then yeah, archetype. dharmaarchetypequiz.com. And if you go on my website, I am Sahara Rose, you will find everything there. The quiz, the book, my Instagram, everything is just on my website. I am sahararose.com. Okay, great. Because I want to make sure people know that because it's, it's fun to take the quiz. And I have to tell you, some of the questions, it's like, well, I think I'm going to answer here. And then I changed my mind and answered something else. So it, it makes sense that we have more than one um, archetype. Totally. Yeah. And that's why the assessment in the book is actually a better way of doing it because in the assessment, you're ranking them in order because we're, we're all of these archetypes in varying amounts and certain stages of your life can actually bring up certain archetypes. So for example, having kids is going to bring up your nurture archetype that Absolutely. you're going to be seeing the world from this lens. But then, you know, when your kids grow up, maybe the artist comes up or maybe the warrior comes up. So I find that typically your top two archetypes tend to really stay with you throughout your life, but the ones in the middle can really change in order and tend to have one that's like your, your one that you really don't like to step into, but that's where your greatest work is. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. I know that there are other archetypes. Why don't you talk about another one? And we're probably not going to get all the way through. 
Um, yeah. Fortunately, there's another place people can get them. Yes, yes. So the other archetypes, just so people know, are the warrior, the entrepreneur, the researcher, the activist, and the entertainer. So for example, Christine, you definitely have the researcher in you. You know, earlier in your life, maybe if you took that quiz, that would have showed up as your primary one. But as you've continued to go on your dharmic journey, you've realized, okay, it's not my primary one, but it's definitely one I can tap into. So for example, right. Deepak Chopra is also teacher, visionary, researcher. So he is, you know, showing people that meditation, spirituality, all of these things are real by backing it up with scientific research. And his greatest joy is to find more research that can prove these things and bring it to the science community. So that is his researcher archetype that's supporting his visionary and his teacher, but it's really creating his unique energetic signature. Now, someone like Tony Robbins is a warrior. So Tony Robbins gets everyone riled up and in their bodies and walking on hot coals. He's very Pitta. So that's the transformation that he's going to get, creating that camaraderie, creating that really body experience. And then someone else like Caroline Mace, very teacher that she's, you know, breaking things down and creating these frameworks and systems. So it's beautiful because we can see that spirituality, consciousness can have so many different textures to them. Now, there are people also like AOC, Alexandra Octavio-Cortez, who is um, was one of the youngest congresswomen, that she is also a warrior archetype, that sure. she's showing up in, you know, supporting the disenfranchised and being a voice for the voiceless and fighting that cause. We can see it's that warrior in her. Marianne Williamson, activist archetype. She uh -huh. is, you know, she has the visionary, she has the teacher, but activism is really what she's bringing about. It's how are we going to change sure. the world society? So we can look at how these different archetypes support each other and put them together in the pieces of the puzzle into, you know, if I know that these may be my top three and for me, warrior is my last one, right? Like warrior was the one, like, I don't like confrontation. I don't like having to have a battle, but that was where my greatest work was to be able uh -huh. to stand up for myself, to be in the fire. So it's not about just being in the archetypes that you are just the highest in, but it's also making sure you don't have a hole in your pocket that if you have to be in a warrior situation or a researcher or a nurturer situation, you don't know how to be. So it's really making sure you can have, you know, elements of balance within all of the archetypes, but let your main archetypes shine through. That, that makes perfect sense. And um, I, I know that over the course of my lifetime, I've had to have like nurture the warrior and give the, the warrior within me permission to set the boundaries and to, you know, move forward in certain ways. Yeah. Especially um, because as women we're taught, you know, warrior is masculine. Don't be like that. You're going to be disliked that a lot of us have a hard time stepping into that warrior energy. Absolutely. Um, we're just about run out of time in 30 seconds or less. Do you have a message for our listeners and viewers today? Now is genuinely the most important time that we can remember our dharmas we we are so needed right now if we can collectively come together in offering our gifts our talents our skills our interests and if you're not sure what that is follow the excitement excitement are breadcrumbs guiding you towards your dharma that thing that you keep wanting to talk about or google search or have a conversation about it's in you for a reason. Your dreams are dreaming you back. So step into those desires, see where they will take you and know that that is the highest way that you can be of service to humanity. I love that. Follow the excitement. Follow yes. the excitement. Okay. So I want to um, talk about your book one more time. 
And it, the foreword, you know, is, was written by Deepak Chopra, which is seriously cool. Um, and it, it is called Discover Your Dharma, a Vedic Guide to Finding Your Purpose. Yes. Uh, and I want to thank you for being here today. I, I truly appreciate um, your presence and the gifts that you're sharing with the world. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you so much for having me and creating such an amazing container for so many to dive deeper into their truth at this time. Oh, thank you. And I want to thank you for joining us here today. And I invite you to step into your vibration of change. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.